Well, Easter is about to arrive, and uh, already we're being assaulted by the Easter bunny. I took a stroll through the mall uh, this last week, and there was that ubiquitous rabbit everywhere I looked. Uh, and I thought, what a, what a tragedy. Uh, instead of looking, that's okay, just leave it down. That's okay. They always think my pacemaker went off or something. <laughs> Uh, what a tragedy. Here's the most exciting, the most significant event in the history of mankind. Uh, President Nixon, notwithstanding, the greatest event in history was not uh, that day that the lunar lunar module touched down on uh, the moon, but rather the most significant day in human history was that day that our Lord rocketed out of the out of the tomb, and he, he put death to death. He beat death, not only for himself, but for us. And, uh, and yet we, we make that day when we celebrate a rodent. And it's just some measure, I think, of the, uh, of the degree to which our hearts and minds are misaligned. What we've wanted to do, Chris and, and I, over the next few weeks is to take you some of the, through some of the sections in the Gospels that deal with our Lord's trial and his death and burial and resurrection, simply to remind you of these uh, stupendous uh, facts. Now I want us to begin uh, with John chapter 18. And I would like to read to you the story of Jesus' trial, and uh, in particularly our Lord's uh, confrontation with Pilate. Uh, The portion of the trial that I'm most concerned with Uh, is the civil trial, the trial before the the Roman uh, authorities. I'm sure all of you have seen the Western melodrama where the sheriff and his posse run down the the alleged uh, bank robber and the sheriff gets out of his chair and he sits down and says, now we're going to have a fair trial and hang you. Uh, This is the kind of thing that you see in this trial. It's a terrible misapplication of of justice. As uh, Isaiah put it, Uh, By oppression, by injustice, he was taken away. It's a good uh, single-sentence definition or explanation, description of uh, the events that took place in uh, in this trial. The Jews had already decided that Jesus must die. They had already, in their own minds, passed the death sentence. Caiaphas, the high priest, had at one point uh, said fairly prophetically, it was unintentioned, but nevertheless it was a prediction, that one man must die for the nation. What he had in mind is that uh, he, he knew that the uh, Roman government would come and, and take away uh, their nation if Jesus, uh, if Jesus created any more difficulties. And therefore, he said uh, with tongue in cheek, one must die for the nation. But what he did not realize was, was how profound that statement actually was. Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, had already decided that Jesus must, uh, must die. The problem now was to get the Roman officials to agree to take the case because uh, uh, they, they had to find charges on which uh, that they could place on Jesus that would, would result in his hanging, result in his death. And so they uh, trumped up uh, uh, charges uh, that uh, would hold up in a Roman court. They did so in a series of Jewish trials. They first met at the home of Annas, who was the deposed high priest, he bore the title, 
uh, I mean, he, he bore the, the, uh, the authority of the high priest, but he, uh, the title had been taken away from him. Then they took uh, Jesus to um, Caiaphas, who is his son-in-law, and uh, Jesus was questioned there. The question was asked uh, what he believed, what he taught. Jesus said, that's no secret. I taught it openly. You could ask anyone on the streets what I taught. This is not a secret cult. I don't have any, any uh, personal agenda. You know exactly what I believe. And at that point, someone in the crowd struck him in the mouth. The, uh, the word that's used, the Greek word that's used, would suggest that. Probably splitting his lips. And, uh, blood began to flow. They spat on him and hit him, kicked him, and abused him uh, verbally and, and physically. But they could not elicit from him, him any indictable uh, admission uh, or any admission that would, that would lead to an indictment. And so they suborned uh, testimony against him. They found two people who would be willing to perjure themselves. And uh, having trumped up charges that they thought would hold up in Roman court, they took Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, which was on the southern end of the city of Jerusalem, across the city, over to the uh, fortress of Antonio, where Pilate uh, was in residence. He had a governor, his, the governor's mansion was actually in Caesarea, but this was the Passover. There were, there were literally millions of Jews in, in, in Jerusalem, and uh, Pilate was there in order to keep, uh, keep order. He ordered the legions into the city. Normally they were not housed there. But uh, because uh, these festivals occasionally were, were times when they, the Jews rioted, they wanted them there to maintain order. And uh, it just happened that Pilate was in residence on this particular day. So uh, we pick up the story in verse 28, where we're told that they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium, which was uh, the governor's quarters. And it was early, about 4 o'clock in the morning. They had captured Jesus in the garden late in the evening. He had gone through... Uh, the uh, extensive questioning through the night. He was without sleep. He had already been battered to some extent. It's now 4 o'clock in the morning. They themselves did not enter into the praetorium in order that, that they might not be defiled, but might eat of the Passover. They did not want to go into a Gentile's uh, leaven-laden house and defile themselves because they wanted to eat the Passover. The irony of that statement is that the Passover lamb was standing in front of them. They were preoccupied with the symbol rather than the uh, reality. Pilate, therefore, went out to them. I, I suspect he came out in his bathrobe and pajamas. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. He, of course, knew that uh, the, the Jews had taken Jesus captive because he had dispatched some of his troops to the garden to capture him. So he was aware of, uh, of what was being undertaken. But this is now his first confrontation with Jesus. It's unlikely that he'd ever met Jesus before. He normally stayed in Caesarea, and our Lord rarely uh, went uh, that far west. Pilate, therefore, uh, went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? What are your charges? And they answer uh, with a, a certain amount of disrespect. If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. That snide comment would suggest something of their attitude toward Pilate because uh, he, was, uh, he was a much hated man in Palestine at this time. Pilate had badly over, overgoverned the, the region. He, he was appointed to this position when he was quite young, 26, 27 years of age. He was appointed by Tiberius himself. It was a special political appointment. We don't know much about Pilate except to say that he was very ambitious. He had to be to rise this uh, quickly. He was posted in, a, in an area of the Roman world that was noted for rebellion and, 
and riot, and it would take someone of considerable uh, ability to, to rule there. The fact that he was uh, given that position when he was so young would be, a uh, be some indication of the respect with which he was uh, courted. And, uh, but the problem was he, 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 uh, he ruled with, a, with an iron hand, a kind of a draconian uh, 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 tyranny that, uh, that really upset the Jews. On one occasion, he, he uh, misapplied funds from the temple treasury, money that was meant to go into the service of the, of the uh, temple, and he used it to build an, a system of aqueducts. The Romans were very much into public works, as you know, and often they did so in order to leave their names behind, and perhaps Pilate stamped, stamped his name all over that aqueduct. It would be somewhat similar to uh, uh, our state government taking money out of our special projects uh, fund, which we use to fund missionaries, and uh, using that to build a public park and having the name of the governor on the front uh, front gate. It, it outraged the Jews. They, they uh, rioted. Pilate sent in the troops. The Jews ran into the temple in order to gain sanctuary. He sent the troops into the temple, which was something that Roman authority normally would not do, and they massacred a large number of Jews in the temple precincts. That may be what Jesus was referring to in Luke 13, when he talked about those Jews whose blood Jesus mingled with their sacrifice, or Pilate uh, mingled with their sacrifices. And uh, uh, for that, he, he gained a great deal of notoriety and, and uh, hatred. Somewhat later, he marched his troops through the streets of Jerusalem, flaunting Roman authority. Their standards with the little figures of uh, animals at the top, which the Jews considered to be idols. And uh, they rioted again, and this time, uh, Pilate, uh, they, they took a stand. They refused to move. They were willing to give up their lives. Pilate sent in his troops and then withdrew them, and the people realized that now they could manage Pilate. He was not going to do anything. He wasn't going to exert his authority and power, and they believed that they had Pilate in their pocket. And that explains this attitude of disrespect for him. They had no... Uh, no use for him at all. And uh, so Pilate responds in verse 31 by saying, Well, you take him and judge him according to your law. I think he already smelled a rat. He realized that, uh, that this was a Jewish question. Uh, it was a, an issue having to do with their religion, not Roman, uh, uh, Roman law. And uh, they should take him and judge him according to their law. The Jews said to him, We're not permitted to put anyone to death. So the cat is out of the bag. We know now what they want. The gospel writers tell us that it was because of envy that they put Jesus to death. He had power and they didn't, so they had to uh, remove him. That was the issue. And he was already guilty uh, in their minds when they took him to, to Pilate. They wanted the Roman authorities to take his life. And John adds, uh, uh, gives us a little side note here and tells us that... Uh, uh, that this was done so it would fulfill the prophecy which Jesus himself had made that he would be crucified. I, he said, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. Thus he uh, spoke of the manner in which he was to die. John said this back in John 12. Uh, the Jews normally killed by stoning. That was the way they carried out a, a capital uh, uh, judgment. Uh, the Romans crucified people. 
And it was necessary, therefore, for the civil authorities to intervene and to ratify this decision on the part of the Jews because it was necessary for our Lord to die on a cross. Pilate, therefore, entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, You are the king of the Jews. There's a note of surprise in that question. The uh, you is emphasized in the the text. I think the point that's being made is that he did not look like a king. He had no regal bearing. By this time, he'd been battered to the point where he uh, uh, certainly looked undignified. He'd been humiliated. Also think this may be what he may have had in mind what Isaiah refers to in his description of the suffering servant. You recall that passage and uh, Isaiah's statement, there was no look about him that would cause us to take a second look, is, is the idea. There, there's nothing out of the ordinary about him. If he walked down the streets of Boise, he would not attract attention. He was so much like us. And uh, 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 Pilate looked at him and he said, you are a king? And uh, Jesus' response is in verse 34. Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? In other words, what do you think? What do you think? See, that's the question that we all have to face. That's the question that Jesus addressed to the, to the disciples when he said, who, who do men say that I am? And then he said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And, and that's the issue for all of us. Uh, it's not enough to simply have a second-hand uh, uh, conclusion about Jesus. He forces us to make a first-hand decision. What do we think about Jesus? And, and all the way through this, this trial, that's, that's the issue. That's, that's the, it's that decision that's being presented to Pilate over and over again. Who am I? Who am I? What do you think I am, you see? And Pilate's being forced to, uh, to choose. Pilate answered, verse 35, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest delivered you up to me. What have you done? In other words, uh, this, he says, is a, is a religious question. This is a Jewish issue. This is an ethnic matter. It's not something I'm particularly interested in. And Jesus said, in effect, you should be, you must be, you are, because this is not an ethnic uh, issue at all. It's a spiritual matter. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. By of, he means uh, as a point of origination. He did not come from this world. He came from another realm, another dimension, a heavenly dimension, a spiritual dimension. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, Pilate, uh, this is not a religious issue. This has nothing to do with... uh, with questions of politics and and questions of Roman jurisprudence and Jewish law. This is a spiritual issue. And this is something that everybody has an investment in. Because we're spiritual beings, you see. Whether we like it or not, we're people made for eternity. It's what the the scripture means when, when we're told in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. We're creatures of eternity. We can't get away from that. We have a little philosopher within us who's always raising these awkward questions. Where, 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 where did you come from? Where are you going? What are you here for? What's right? What's wrong? What's good? What's true? What's beautiful? 
And we just we can't get away from those those questions. One of my favorite questions when I'm talking to, to people about their relationship to Christ is, do you have any interest in spiritual things? And uh, uh, very often they'll say, well, what do you mean? I say, well, you know, if you ever ask yourself, what are you here for? What's your purpose in life? Where are you going after death? Those, those are all issues having to do with the realm of the Spirit. So when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, what he was doing was taking the, the, the political argument away from Pilate and he's saying, we're not talking politics, we're not talking legalities, we're talking spiritualities. And the real question is whether we can enter into a discussion about, about your relationship to that spiritual world, or are you a part of that, of that unseen realm of reality? And uh, Peter's, or Philip's, uh, excuse me, Pilate's I only have one eye. I, I, one of my contact lenses, I have an infection in one eye, and I feel like a cyclops every time I turn. <laughs> can't focus here. Uh, Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king. There had been a tacit admission on the part of Jesus that he was indeed a king by talking about the kingdom over which he ruled. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I'm, I'm a king. That's Jesus' indirect way of saying, You're right, I am a king. There's no question about it. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You understand what Jesus was saying to Pilate? He's saying, if you want to know the truth, then God will reveal himself to you. He'll he'll help you to see the world of unseen realities. That's a very important statement because it tells us that the issue in our life is never intellectual. It is always moral. When people tell me that they're seekers after truth, and, and then I have an opportunity to confront them with the gospel, and they reject it, all that tells me is that they do not want the truth. They're not seeking the truth. I, I say this not on my own authority, but on, on John's. Uh, I think this is John's uh, commentary. It may even be Jesus' words, but in either case... It has the authority of our Lord. This is what John says. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. So Jesus put it another way. He said... uh, when the question was raised about how they could know if uh, his words were true, he said, uh, if anyone's will is to do my Father's will, then you'll know. See, that's the issue for all of us. It, it, it's, it's the important matter when we first come to Jesus. He asks us that question, do you, do you want to see the truth? We say yes, and he shows us the truth itself incarnate in Jesus. If we respond to it, then he gives us more truth. He says, do you want to know the will of God? Yes, I do. Then you have to be willing to respond to it. See? And the re- what turns us off is not, uh, is not the intellect. It, 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 it's the heart. See, it, it's, it's the moral issue. The real question is, do we want to go God's way or our way? And Pilate's being confronted with this. You see how our Lord's arguing, Pilate? This is not a legal question. This is a spiritual question. Now, Pilate, do you want to enter into, the, into, the, into that spiritual world? Then, 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 then 
you, you've got to seek for it. You've got to hunger for it with all of your heart. And uh, Pilate's answer is, as, uh, as Bacon put it, was a brush off. He, uh, he asked the question, but he didn't wait for a reply. What is truth? It's cynicism. Because Pilate did not want to see the truth. He didn't want it. It's always the issue. God gives us what we want. If we don't want the truth, he will not foist it on us. If we want it, he will lavish it upon us. Now, um, um, let's see. First, I've got to focus, and then I've got to find the text here. Verse 38, uh, latter part of verse 38. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. This is the first of three times that he will say uh, he's guilty of no indictable offense. Our, our Lord uh, did not sin. There is no, there is no uh, basis on which they could judge him or put him to death. But you have a custom that I should release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? Therefore they cried out again saying, No, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Two things had happened before Pilate came out to the, uh, to the assembly in front of his, of his residence. He sent Jesus off to Herod. That gave him a little bit of breathing room. He learned that Jesus was from Galilee, and Herod was the governor of that region, and he had jurisdiction there, so he thought he could get, get this situation out of his hair, and somebody else would have to make the decision. In the meantime, his wife came in. And said to him, uh, my dear, I had a terrible nightmare last night. It was awful. And I don't want you to have anything to do with this righteous man. And apparently uh, Pilate brushed her off as well. Because he could have stepped out in front of that crowd and exonerated Jesus. Cleared him of any charges, whatever, and set him free. But uh, his mind was working, and, and see, all along, Pilate was trying to protect his own political future because he, he could see that things were getting very, very tense for him. And, and he was being forced into, into making some very difficult decisions, some that might cost him his political future. And so he had a brainstorm, I will pardon him. And he brings Jesus out, and he says, you, you have a custom that uh, one man should be delivered, and uh, should, should be set free. Do you want this man or Barabbas? And the crowd, most of which had gathered around Jesus to hear him teach, many of whom had been healed by Jesus, had been touched by his life, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They said, we want, we want Barabbas, not, not this man. Now, the text says fairly delicately that, he, that Barabbas was a robber. Actually, he was a thug. He was a member of a seditious group. He's guilty of murder. One of the ironies of, of this whole account is that they released the true seditionist, the insurrectionist, and they crucified the wrong man. Jesus was not guilty of, of sedition. But Barabbas wasn't a mere thief. He was a uh, hard-nosed, bloody-handed murderer. And uh, they turned him free, turned him loose. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him cowardly thing to do. He's taken into the praetorium and his bodyguard uh, uh, horsewhipped Jesus. He was, he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. It's often, people often lost their life as a result of that uh, punishment. They died 
uh, through uh, loss of blood and shock. And they wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they began to come to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and give him blows to the face. And we, we can't be too hard on these men. I, they were from Caesarea. They were uh, Pilate's personal bodyguard. They probably had never heard Jesus. He was just a Jew. They, they, most of these uh, soldiers were galled by the fact that they had to serve in Palestine away from their families, and uh, this was anti-Semitism. is all it was, pure and simple. They were taking all of their hatred and hostility out on this, uh, this Jew, not knowing, as Isaiah put it, that it is by his stripes that they were healed. And uh, then Pilate uh, brought Jesus out wearing the, the thorns, the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man, you, you've seen that picture, I'm sure, with the Latin inscription, Ecahomo. Behold the man. Look at this pitiful being, is the idea. You want to punish him more? You see, the, the Pilate's effort here was to so disgrace and humiliate our Lord that it would appease the Jews and they would then be willing to set him free. See, Pilate is facing what in chess is called a fork. Any, any move he made was wrong because if he set him free, he knew that the Jews of Jerusalem would appeal to Caesar and, and he was in enough political trouble that he would be removed. But if he put him to death, he would be guilty of a terrible violation of Roman justice. The Roman uh, system of juris, jurisprudence is the system on which all of the, uh, the law in Western civilization is based, or most of it. It's a very just System. Uh, they had a, 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 a slogan, May we be just though the heavens fall. And uh, Pilate knew that he was in a very difficult situation and he was trying to waffle and weasel his way through and, and set free Jesus without having to, to pay the consequences uh, himself. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And Jesus answered, and the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was the more afraid. It just scared the wits out of him, because he finally realized what was going on. Jesus was not guilty of any... Uh, infraction of Roman uh, law. He, he had committed no offense that justified the application of the death penalty. Pilate would have been guilty of a terrible injustice uh, to uh, make that judgment. He now saw that the issue was, was one of, of Jewish law and that, and that they, they were offended by the fact that Jesus claimed to be the, the Son of God. See, just then as today, there are people going around who are crazy enough to say, I'm God. Uh, they might have locked him up, but they didn't kill him. Well, we don't put people to death like that today. And, and, and all of a sudden, Pilate's political life just passed right before his eyes. And he realized that if he made the decision to set Jesus free, it would be the end of his political career. Pilate uh, entered into the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. There's nothing more that our Lord could say. Pilate had all the facts. And uh, he was simply left uh, to wrestle with his conscience. Pilate therefore said to him, "You, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. The he is singular. I think he's probably referring to Caiaphas or Annas, the one who was actually the instigator behind this plot to crucify uh, uh, our Lord. And the point that uh, he's making is that uh, though there may be a number of political forces and human forces at work to put our our Lord uh, to death, the authority to do so is only given from above. And yet... There is culpability. There is responsibility. And he's facing Pilate with the fact that though he had the authority to put, uh, put this man to death who stood before him, uh, that authority only came from above. And at the same time, he was, he was responsible for that decision. He could at any moment have set Jesus free. And as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. His sympathies were with Jesus. He realized that he was being railroaded. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Tiberius, who was the emperor at that time, was known as the jealous despot. He just took people's heads off if they... uh, were slightly misaligned with his uh, plan. And Pilate knew that if he chose to let Jesus go, he really wanted to. His sympathies were with Jesus. But if he did, he knew that he would run afoul of, of the emperor. And that would be the end of his career, if not his, his life. And uh, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. And he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Interestingly enough, some of the very early translations of this text translate that verb, he sat down, as, in a more transitive way, he seated Jesus. It could be translated that way. In which case, he was trying again to get them to acknowledge the fact that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Seated him on the judgment seat and said, Behold your king. Or, if it's translated as most of our texts have it, Peter was re- uh, Philip was ready now to make make uh, to pass judgment, and so he sat down at the place of judgment, the bema, the, the judgment seat, and uh, he he began to uh, make preparation to uh, uh, to pass down his uh, his uh, judgment. It was the day of preparation for the Passover, which again is highly symbolic. Here was the Passover lamb, ready to be sacrificed. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon, a Roman reckoning. Our Lord had been up all night by this time. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They therefore cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. You talk about blasphemy. Israel was intended to be a theocratic people, a God-ruled people. All the other kings, all the human kings, were simply vice-regents. They served his authority. God was the king. And it was his purpose to lead that nation 
into the place where they could be a source of light to all the Gentiles. And they, at this point, set aside their spiritual heritage. They sold out. They lost their place in, the, in, in God's plan to bring salvation to the world, just as Esau did. They sold their spiritual birthright. We have no king but Caesar. God is not our king. So he then delivered him up to them to be crucified. Now, the issue is very clear. Pilate was trying to save his political skin. All the way through this trial, he was trying to figure out some way to both save his political life and save Jesus. And Finally, it came down to, to the decision to save himself, and so he, he sacrificed our Lord for his own sake. Uh, James Russell Lowell, uh, his poem was written about this particular choice. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide. In the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side, then it is the good man chooses while the coward stands aside, doubting in his own abject spirit while his Lord is crucified. That's Pilate, you see. A number of years ago, I read Mark Hatfield's uh, book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I think it was in this book that I read this statement. Uh, Senator Hatfield talks about a day in his life when he was uh, sitting in his office at Willamette University. He was the dean of students there, and a very ambitious young man by his own admission. He wanted to be the governor of the state of Oregon. He wanted to be a senator from the state of Oregon. He wanted to be president of the United States someday. And uh, that was that was his focus. He was then a believer. He'd been led to Christ some months before by a number of students at Willamette. And uh, Doug Coe, who was a student at Willamette at that time, walked into his office, sat down, began to talk to him about his political future. And, and finally, Doug reached over, and, and they were very good friends, and he said, Mark, he said, you have two choices that you need to face into. Do you want to be the governor of Oregon, or do you want to be God's man? And Hatfield said he, he's never forgotten that statement. Now, he did go on, of course, to become the governor of Oregon and senator from, from Oregon. But for him, the issue was settled. He was going to be God's man no matter what it cost him. Now, you may not agree with some of his politics, but you have, you know, you have to appreciate very much that, that uh, decision that he made. It, that's the decision Pilate had to make, see. Am I going to be God's man, or am I going to be governor of Judea and emperor of the, the Roman Empire someday? He wanted to be king. See? He wanted to be king. And he put to death the Lord of glory in order to be king. That's what Lowell means when he said, the coward turns aside while the, our Lord is crucified, see. Now, for some of you, that's, that's the decision that you're having to face right now. You, you have not yet decided to make Jesus king. And, and, and this is a defining moment for you to, to decide. Do, do I want to be rich? Do I want to be famous? Do I want to be powerful? Or do I want to be God's woman, God's man? Uh, that's a tough decision. But but the Lord, just as he did with Pilate, he just won't let us get away from that decision. He just keeps facing us with it over and over and over again. You want to be God's man, God's woman? 
Or do you want some other course? Maybe it's to be the governor of the state of Idaho. Now, there are no promises if you become God's woman, God's man, that you're going to have all the desires of, of your heart. Uh, you may not have some of the things that you long for. Your ambitions may be thwarted and frustrate, but you'll, you'll find everything else that you need. You'll find the satisfaction that you've been hungering and, and longing for. One of my, uh, one of my favorite stories is, uh, uh, well, one of my heroes, actually, is Jim Elliott, who was one of the five men who, who uh, went into uh, Ecuador to get the gospel to the Aka Indians. I read that story when I was uh, out of, shortly out of college. Probably had, has had more influence on me than any other, any other book I've read. And Nate Saint brought that little Cessna in on the, the uh, Karari River and landed on that sand spit. And, and a couple of days later, all five of those men were killed by the Aka Indians. And, and uh, their ambition, their, their dream... Uh, their dreams were not realized for them personally to reach those Indians. Later, they were reached by their wives, by the way. Most of the wives went back and others and, and touched that, that tribe. But there's one statement that Jim Elliott made in that, in that book that stuck with me through all those years. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Pilate went on his way, sort of an unremarkable career, for ten more years. He sort of drops out of the history books. Didn't do anything of any real significance. The light seemed to go out of his soul. And uh, about ten years later, there was a gathering of uh, Samaritans up on the sides of Mount Gerizim. Rumor was circulating that Moses had buried the ark up on top of Gerizim. Sort of the first uh, raiders of the lost ark, I suppose, and, and a bunch of Samaritans gathered to hunt for treasure, and unfortunately they had their weapons with them, their sidearms, their swords and spears, and Pilate's intelligence was bad, and he reported, it was reported to him that there was an insurrection in Samaria, and so he marched his troops up there, and they massacred this, uh, this group, harmless people. And Vitellius, who was his immediate superior in, in Syria, heard about it. The Samaritans protested, and, and he removed Pilate from office, sent him home in disgrace. Fortunately for Pilate, on the way home, uh, Tiberius died. I think just God's grace, giving Pilate another opportunity to remember and to look back and to make the right choices. And, and Pilate, who had been a, a rising star, just went into decline. He finally wandered off into, into Gaul, which is modern-day Turkey, and... Uh, his wife, there's a long-standing tradition that his wife became a believer. But Pilate committed suicide in his last years, went, went, to, went to death at his own hand. And that was the end. And I just think of what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Even if Pilate had become the emperor of the Roman Empire, he couldn't have kept that prize. But uh, had he acknowledged our Lord and become a part of that great spiritual kingdom of which our Lord speaks, he would have, he would have gone on together uh, forever. So my, my word to you is choose this day whom you will serve. That's what Joshua said to the people of Israel. Who is it? In fact, that ought to be our morning prayer. 
Choose this day whom you will serve. There's that first initial choice that we make to make Jesus Christ Lord. And then every day is just a constellation of choices. Every, all through the day we, we have to decide, am I going to be God's woman, God's man? Or am I going to do something else? Those are always the issues. And, and it's those choices that make us what we are. We, we are the sum of all of these little choices. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures or with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Let's pray.